morning, Christ community. I hope you guys are excited to be here because I'm excited to be here. Can we go ahead and give the students that were helping with worship a hand and those who are greeting, handing out bulletins? It is truly awesome to see, and, and I love seeing it. Actually, part of my vision is to have this happen more often, maybe quarterly or something like that. So Jeff didn't know that, but now he does. And so you guys have to hold him accountable for that. Um, today is going to be a little bit different than normal. This is a vision Sunday, and so that means this will be a vision sermon. And so the main emphasis will be on the next generation and family ministry here at Christ Community. So before too many of you check out, because you don't have kids, or your kids are grown and out of the house, and you're loving being an empty nester, and you're just loving retirement, or you're loving being a grandparent, don't. Do not check out. A vision family for ministry as, or a vision for family ministry, as I elaborated on last year, includes all of us, which we will collectively come to see. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy. We're going to start here and end elsewhere, but I want to give you some of the key components of the ministry of the vision today from God's Word. I want you to see how what we are doing is faithfully modeled for us in the Scriptures and by others, and I want you to be excited about what God is doing in the next generation of Christ's community. And so today will be the big picture vision, the overarching vision, and the details of this vision will be fleshed out in the coming months for us. Um, but I want you to see what will be happening as this transition takes place. So as you're turning to 2 Timothy, let me give you a brief background to the book. This is obviously the second letter that Paul has written to Timothy. He's writing from a Roman prison, and he has left Timothy in Ephesus. He's left him in Ephesus, and it is a hard place to minister, a hard place to pastor. And Timothy is a young man, a young pastor, who is called to be an example for this church, called to be an example for the flock. And so how Paul reminds him of this calling is he reminds him of what God has called him to, but he also reminds him of the example that he had while growing up. And so he wants him to see both of those things, and I think that's what we're going to see today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, you, you Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This morning we're going to have three truths from the text that correspond to the three pillars of the next generation ministry. Three truths from the text that correspond to the three pillars of the next gen ministry. And so these are going to be guiding what we teach and practice in the years to come. And so I want to expound on them for you this morning. But real quick before I do that, I want you to see our vision and our mission statement, what will be guiding our practice. So it should be up on the screen for you, but our vision statement. The next generation ministry of Christ's community exists to glorify God by intentionally cultivating hearts of worship in children and students through the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to intentionally cultivate hearts of worship in students through the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. How we do that is that we teach in such a way that we show them that the scriptures are all pointing to and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 
that he is the center of our worship. What he has done through his life, his death, and his resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And so they will know that. I want them to see Jesus as supreme in everything. But then the question comes, how do we accomplish that vision? And that is where our mission statement comes in. The Next Generation Ministry of Christ Community seeks to partner with parents to disciple the next generation of faithful Christ followers. We want to partner with parents. I'm going to elaborate on in this message what that looks like. And so let's begin. The first truth from the text from 2 Timothy that I want us to see is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. This is from verses 14 and 15. We will see the power of the gospel and understand that the first pillar of this next generation ministry is this, the gospel. And with the gospel, I'm not only talking about the good news of what Jesus has done, but teaching the scriptures, as I said, in such a way that they see how everything points to and culminates in Jesus. Paul calls for Timothy in this book, in this chapter, to continue on in what he has been taught and believed. And then he reminds him how from childhood he was acquainted with the sacred writings. How from childhood he's been taught God's word. It's been faithfully taught and explained to him by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois that he tells us in chapter 1. They, as his family, have been explaining to him the things of God from an early age throughout all the time that he was growing up in their house. They were teaching him in such a way that he was ready to believe the gospel. They were faithful in tilling the soil, faithful in planting the seeds and watering, but they understood that ultimately it was God who would give the growth. And so parents, the heart of this ministry, the heart of the next generation ministry is geared towards coming alongside you, of co-watering with you, co-teaching with you, co-planting with you, and looking to God to give the growth. We at Christ Community acknowledge you the parent, as the primary disciple maker in the lives of your children. And we looked at Deuteronomy 6 last year. We have been given the God-given task and responsibility of discipling our kids. And so we can't outsource that to a pastor or to a church or to a school or or to a club. I want to tell you this morning that you are called by God. And not only are you called by God if you're a parent, you are equipped by His grace to disciple your kids. But it is the church It is all of us together. It is the family of God who will come alongside you, who will pick you up when you are in despair as you are parenting them, who will dialogue with you about what faithful discipleship looks like in the lives of your kids and as they mature in life. And so part of the next generation ministry is understanding what Christian maturation looks like, what it looks like for a kid who grows up in this church to be progressing in a Christian walk. And so for younger children in the next generation ministry, We are teaching them God's word in a faithful manner each and every week. You get a bulletin insert called the family follow-up that highlights what they are learning and then some simple questions that you can ask to follow up with them throughout the week. We understand that kids at a younger age, they need the foundational truths of the faith to be taught to them. The foundational truths of the gospel, of God's word, of who Jesus is, of the reality that he has saved us and died for us and rose again. They need to understand those foundational truths. But as they grow older, into the preteen and the teenage years, the reasoning comes. Or it should, at least. The reasoning comes. They understand the foundational truths, but they have questions. They have thoughts and crazy ideas. They have a faith-seeking understanding, and all of that is okay. As parents and as a youth ministry, we want to be active and continuing to teach them, but to also give them the ability to reason as a Christian, to reason as a Christ follower. And to think and to ask questions from godly men and godly women who can point them back to the reality of the gospel, the reality that Jesus saves, 
the reality of the foundation of God's word. And so to use the illustration again, we are tilling and planting and watering and trusting God to give the growth. And so our focus as parents and as the family of God collectively, as those who care about the next generation coming up, has to be the heart. Not outside behavior, not what they look like on the outside, not how they act around other people. It has to be the heart. We have to parent in such a way that we keep the heart in mind. We have to have an eternal mindset. One of my favorite writers and pastors who has influenced me as a pastor, and he's long dead, but his name is J.C. Ryle. And many of you have probably read from him, but here's a quote that has often come back to correct my thinking in parenting. He says, Precious no doubt are these kids in your eyes, but if you love them, think often of their souls. No part of them should be so dear as to you, that part that will never die. The world with all its glory shall pass away, the hills shall melt, but the spirit which dwells in those kids whom you love so well shall outlive them all. In every step you take about them, in every plan, in every scheme, in every arrangement that concerns them, do not leave out the mighty question, how will this affect their souls? We are called to parent and disciple in such a way that we keep eternity in mind. We ask that question, how will what I'm doing affect their souls? But one reality that I want to hit on real quick that's underscoring this entire gospel uh, truth and, and point is this. You can't parent from what you don't have. And you can't parent from what you don't believe. So the truth undermining teaching our kids and students the gospel is that we ourselves know the gospel. That we've been shaped by it and changed by it. That we've been given new hearts. That we trust Jesus above all else and that they see that in our lives. The gospel is not just for the next generation. The gospel is for every generation. And so we as parents and leaders and teachers, godmothers, godfathers, community group leaders, every single believer in Christ has to be growing in him in order to effectively disciple somebody else. How many of you have ever flown with little children before? Maybe under the age of four. For those of you with more than three kids under the age of four or five, I know why you drive everywhere now, okay? If you were wanting to go to Europe, you would drive to Florida and somehow take a boat across before you would get on a plane with that many little children. And flying with young children can be difficult. And no matter what, you always get the stares. You have the business people, which I know there are some in here, who are looking at you saying, please, God, do not let me have to sit next to them. You have other families who are saying, maybe we can spread out on the plane. And usually whenever I fly with Laura and my kids, it's usually me apologizing. I'm the one apologizing to other people for my kids. Laura, I dare somebody to give her the eye. I would have to hold her back. <laughs> the girl does not care. <laughs> But anyways, if you've flown with young ones, then you'll know what happens. You get to board early, and it's awesome. You put your bag away. You get, you get to take your seat and settle in because you need that extra time with them to get them comfortable. But then when everybody is on board and the announcement starts, something interesting happens. The flight attendant is talking about oxygen masks, and she says this, Parents flying with young children, be sure to put on your oxygen mask first and then your child's. And then to make sure that you heard her correctly, she'll come by directly to us and she'll say, be sure to put on your oxygen mask first and then your child's. And so our first inclination as a parent is, what? Everything within us as parents wants to protect and to provide and attend to their needs before attending to mine. So shouldn't I help them first? And the answer is no. Why? Because I'm actually more help to my child when I am receiving oxygen. Once I put on my mask, then I can help them. In other words, if I really care about my children, I will care for myself first. We as parents have to make sure that we are growing in the gospel before we adequately teach that to our children. And so when we operate as a parent out of our own strength, 
our own wisdom, our own righteousness, parenting can, can and will seem like an endeavor with no hope. But when we prioritize the gospel in our own lives, the word of God, worship, fellowship with believers, a faith lived out in our own lives, then we can faithfully disciple the next generation. Then we can model for them what a true Christian life looks like. And it's that idea of modeling that brings us to our second truth from the text. We have the power of the gospel and the power of example. Verse 10, Paul says, You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching You followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul here commends Timothy for following his example, for observing his model of life, for observing his mother and his grandmother's model of life in chapter one and for being shaped by it. So similarly, Jesus, when he's calling the disciples to follow him, he first called them to live life with him, to observe him, to imitate him. Paul called himself a spiritual father whose life should be imitated, to follow me as I follow Christ. And so this is the power of example we see in the text, and it ties in with our second pillar of the next generation ministry, and that's relationships. Gospel and relationships. Foundationally, we want the gospel being taught and relationships being formed. We want that in the next generation ministry, and we want that in our church as a whole. And so there are two realms that we need to look at in the area of examples or relationships. What do I mean by relationships? And the first realm is within the family within the immediate family, with those that you share a house with. Parents, we see that biblically we are called to disciple our kids. And yes, we teach them the truths of God's word, but I don't want you to have a wrong understanding of discipleship. Discipleship is fundamentally relational. We teach them the gospel, but they also watch us live out the gospel. And as they are growing up in our homes, they will often observe and evaluate and imitate us more and more as they get older. I cannot tell you how often I sound like my dad now when I'm parenting. It's crazy to me. And the truth will be, will be like that for all the, many of the kids in here who are growing up in your homes. Kids and teenagers want to see that your faith is real. They learn about what makes you excited, all the things in life that makes you excited. But I pray in part that that is the things of God your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with others in the church, do those excite you? The children and the students in this church are looking to us as parents and they're asking, do I want to be like this? Do I want a faith? Do I want the faith of my parents? And I can read you statistics and statistics off the books on my shelves in my office of what is happening to the church of the multitudes they say are leaving after high school, of the problems with youth ministry, the problems with engaging young people. And to be frank, a lot of it I don't really buy. It's not really helpful. But one thing they point out continually in all of those is this, hypocrisy. The next generation, the up-and-coming generation, hates hypocrisy. They hate lip service to the Lord, but a faith that is void. They hate seeing mom and dad act a certain way at church, but be completely different when it's just them at home. So real quick, I want to touch on what hypocrisy is because from the outside culture, it's thrown at us all the time as Christians. The church is full of hypocrites. I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. So let's look at what that is. Paul says to Timothy in chapter one, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And it's this sincere word that we need to look at. The Greek word for this is anapokritos. And it literally means unhypocritical, undisguised, a genuineness for all to see. And so the question comes then, what is hypocrisy? What is it? I think Chap Bettis is helpful when he writes this. To answer the question, some would say not practicing what you preach. 
That is, while you agree with the high ethical call of following Christ, we don't actually practice it. And everybody in here can say amen because we sin. But by that definition, even the Apostle Paul was a hypocrite because he said he did not do what he wanted to do in Romans 7. So are we all hypocrites then? I would say no. True hypocrisy is not falling short of the high commands of Christ because we all do that. No, true hypocrisy, faith-killing, scorn-inducing hypocrisy is falling short and not repenting of it. It is not caring that we become lukewarm. It is being unwilling to admit that we are complacent about following hard after the Lord. So parents, we have to model what repentance looks like for our kids. They have to see that the grace of Jesus is real for us so that they know it can be real for them. And so we have to go to them when we've sinned against them. My son Jed is only four years old, four years old. And I've already went to him multiple times and sat him down and confessed, Jed, daddy messed up. He spoke to your mother too harshly. I got frustrated with you for no reason. I didn't show you grace when you needed it. And then we pray. And my son hears me pray to a heavenly father that forgives. My son needs to know that I'm not perfect. Our kids need to know that we're not perfect, but we have to continually point them to the one who is. We must be willing to confess and live out a grace-filled life before them because they are watching and they are observing and they are imitating us. So that's the example we see within the family. But then the other sphere of example and relationships provided within the church is within the family of God. We have within the family and then within the family of God. Paul is writing this to a young pastor, as I said, who is ministering in a difficult context, ministering in Ephesus, to a young pastor who is called to be an example for this church, to be above reproach. And so he reminds him of how, uh, Paul reminds Timothy of how he has followed his own example that Timothy has followed in the footsteps of Paul and other leaders within the church. And so I mentioned this earlier, but a next generation vision is not just for those who have kids in the house, who have teenagers driving up their grocery bill or, or toddlers who are destroying all of their furniture. It's for all of us as the family of God. So let me remind you this morning that if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you belong to that family. John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So to those of you who don't have children, or you're single, or your children are grown, and to the retired here, we need your service. We need your wisdom. True family discipleship of the next generation involves all of us contributing to that generation. So serve somewhere in the church where you can aid in that. Older couples, get to know a younger family and impart your wisdom to them because you have been through the life stages that are coming up. Single men, single women, aid in the discipleship of teenagers. It takes a gospel relational community to raise faithful kids. Author Reggie Joyner, in a mass study done that he did of youth who are entering into college, and he followed them throughout their college years. And he gave a bunch of statistics, and I mentioned earlier what I thought about that. But he says one thing that I think is true. He found that teenagers, as they go into college, teenagers who had at least five adults from the church make a significant investment in their lives were twice as likely to continue on in the faith. Apart from their parents, just five adults who made a significant investment in their lives. Children need the input of their parents, yes, but they also need the input of the family of God. And so parents, we have to guard ourselves against what the culture is pushing against us day in and day out. Parents today often want their kids to be experience rich, even if they are relationally poor. 
We will take them to all the events and all the classes and practices and everything other kids are going to, even if it means being relationally poor, poor within our own family and within the church family. Kids and teenagers need somebody besides their parent who can speak into their lives to reinforce what is being said or to confide in an adult who is not their parent. They need a tribe where they understand that they belong and are accepted. This is part of us being a church family. So for our younger classes, this example and relationship emphasis is going to look different for those in the children's ministry. Teachers will be teaching them the foundational truths, but also trying to connect with them as children. But then as they progress into the teenage years, as they join the student ministry, the relationship involves from one of solely teaching to one of counselor, an encourager, a listening ear, a mentoring relationship that adds to the growth of their faith. So that is part of our vision and our mission. And that's what we see in 2 Timothy This brings us to our last truth from the text, and that's the power of joy. The power of the gospel, the power of example, and the power of joy. This is where our study this morning turns into a bit of a biblical theology. The Bible as a whole has a lot to say about joy. 160 plus times the word joy is used in the Bible. Another 40 plus times the word laughter is used. Rejoice is over 260 times. Cheerful, delight, the list goes on and on. Our God is a God of joy, a God that we can delight in, a God that we should be having fun worshiping and serving and living out our lives on this earth for as long as he gives us. And so our last pillar of the next generation ministry is this, fun, gospel relationships, fun. We're going to have fun worshiping, serving, learning, and knowing our awesome God. We're going to make sure that your kids, as they are engaged in classes and in the youth, as they meet together as a group, are having fun. I want them to know and experience God in a joyful and fun way. Gospel, relationships, fun. And what's true of this, what's true of the power of joy, is that it's true regardless of your circumstances. There are times and long seasons of weeping and sorrow and distress and mourning, but our countenance as a Christian, our overarching outlook on life should be one of joy because we of all people have an eternal hope. And so the statement is true. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our satisfaction in God, our joy, the way we live life in a fun and joyful manner is both glorifying to God and attractive to unbelievers. They want what we have because they see it being lived out. And this has been, under, this has been understood throughout the history of Christianity. I'm not telling you anything new when I tell you fun. Let me quote to you the first question from the Westminster Catechism. Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So let's go older. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Did not depend on circumstances. Rejoice. And then John 15, uh, this is after Jesus had a lengthy uh, period of teaching the disciples. And then he summarizes it in John 15, 11. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you enjoy God? Do you rejoice in him? Do others see that you do? My hope for the next generation ministry is that we're teaching the next generation to enjoy God, to have fun knowing God, and to worshiping him, to take delight in the things of God, and to find our satisfaction in him alone. And so we will unapologetically have fun doing that. My promise to you as one shepherding this area of ministry is that these three pillars will happen. We will teach your kids the gospel. 
We will faithfully teach in the word of God, how it all points to Christ. We will partner with you as you do that as well. We will answer their questions alongside of you, counsel them with you, and point them to Jesus as you do as well. Secondly, we will build relationships with your kids. From Sunday school teachers to youth leaders, we will make the investment to know your kid, to build a relationship with them, to be another godly influence in their lives that adds to your godly influence in their lives. And lastly, we're going to have fun doing this. We'll have family events, kids events, youth events, camps, mission trips, hangout nights, all the above. I'll probably get in trouble for some of the games we play, and that's okay. Because the community we want built here should never just know about the triune God and not enjoy him. I want the kids to know him and enjoy him. And so I am so excited for the next generation, or this next generation ministry. I'm so excited for this new season that we are entering into. I'm so thankful for what's already been done in the youth ministry, and I'm excited to continue to build upon that and to see what God will do. So you guys know that we're expecting a baby any time now. You can resonate, if you remember that time, during the the hope and the excitement and the joy that it brings when there's new life coming into your home. So that feeling is similar to what I'm experiencing getting to oversee this entire ministry. So if you have a bulletin, real quick, I'd like you to take it out. And in the place of the family follow-up, and if you don't have a bulletin, that's okay. We've printed extras, uh, extras of these inserts. In the place of the family follow-up, what I did is I put on there the next generation uh, mission and vision for you. And then I put three practical ways that you can be praying for the next generation ministry and this season of transition that we have. Three practical ways to be praying for it. So hang it up on your refrigerator. Put it on your office door. Put it somewhere you can see it. And I'm asking you as a church to pray with us. And that's what I would love to see you do. Gospel, relationships, and fun. We're going to do all three of those and not sacrifice any of them. Would you pray with me? Father, I praise you as the creator of all things. And you are Lord over our lives. And you sent your son to die for us. And he took our place on the cross and he did die, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And in so doing, he has ensured that we have salvation if we place our faith in you. So I pray that the kids and everybody in this church would rest in the truth of the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would be a discipling community, one that builds relationships and shows others how to follow Christ as we follow Christ. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that enjoys God, that enjoys God, and that is attractive to others to see. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.